And you know, it's funny, I talk a lot about moderation and people just say, well, I could never do that. I'm an all or nothing person. I just can't even be around the food. And I always just say that I was the exact same way. If someone had told me 10 years ago to have a couple bites of a cookie, I would have just like laughed in their face. That wasn't something I could ever do or comprehend doing. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and today we're joined by Jill Coleman, the creator of Jill Fit. Hey Jill, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. I don't understand how we've never spoken before. I know. It seems like we should have by now. I feel like I, I feel like I know you. I'm pretty sure we're buds. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how the internet world works, I think. That's right. Well, I am so thrilled to have you on today, Jill. And what I would like you to do is can you kind of tell everybody who you are? Yeah. So um, like you said, I own a company called Jill Fit, uh, Jill Fit Physiques. And basically what I do currently is I help women kind of quit the yo-yo dieting cycle and learn how to eat the same on Saturday that they do on Monday. So that's kind of like my elevator pitch, but really it comes down to empowering women to kind of trust themselves around food and not be as obsessed with their food and the exercise. Because for me, that's kind of where I came from. I came from a background of being very obsessed, uh, doing figure competitions and things like that, and really feeling like my entire self-worth was based on my body. And over the last five or six years, changing from kind of someone who was doing an all or nothing approach to eating and exercise to someone who kind of lived moderately and is able to kind of enjoy life and also really, uh, you know, stay healthy and stay in shape and have my clothes fit and stuff like that. So that's kind of a big charge is helping women kind of uncover that nutrition stuff. Well, and I got to say, I cannot wait to jump into that stuff with you, Jill, but I got to say something. There are nutritional and wellness consultants just in abundance on the internet, as yep. we know. And what I love about you and what I've really respected about you for a long time, Jill, is that you've got chops, girl. And <laughs> I know that you got your BS in exercise science and yep. then you went on and got your master's in human nutrition, if I'm right about that. Yes. Okay. Yep. And you're one of the founding members of Metabolic Effect, a company that I have a great deal of respect for, and I've probably cited on the show approximately 100,000 times. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and so I, I know you've done a great deal of work in this field and that you're not just out there. God love them. You're not just out there to help people make feel better about themselves. And so I love that you bring to this not only your own personal experience, but a great deal of um, experience and background and insight and education. So I just, I think sometimes it's important when you have that level of credibility to kind and get that out there in a world filled with internet consultants. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think that's an important point. I mean, I think it's easy for someone to just, and I think people are fine with it. I think there's value in just kind of sharing your own experience, right? And I sure. think there's some value in that for relatedness and feeling like you have a friend and stuff like that. Uh, but, but if we're talking about real, real change, real body change or real mental change or something like that, there needs to be something else behind it. I love kind of the, playing, like kind of pulling in the psychology with kind of nutritional research and really uncovering a lot around mindfulness and these things that we don't typically think of. I don't know about you, but when I kind of started in, in the health field, I was like, just tell me what to eat, right? It was very like black and white. Just give me the food list. Give me the meal plan. It was all just to-dos. And then over time, I started to realize that implementation is really what's key, not what to do, but how to do it. And so that's when the psychology gets pulled in and the mindset piece and all that stuff. So that's kind of where the brand has moved. It used to be very kind of cut and dry, eat these foods, don't eat these foods. And now it's very much like, you know, know your own body and how, what you need to feel healthy, to feel happy, to maintain, you know, a healthy weight, all that kind of stuff. So it's, a, it's evolved, but it's been really fun. Well, I want to talk with you about several things. I want to talk about binging. I want to talk about restriction. I want to talk about something that you're a big proponent of, which is moderation, 365 days a year, a concept that like my DNA struggles to comprehend. Yes. Um, <laughs> I want to get really deep into some of these topics with you and I know yeah. you can handle it, sister, but sure. what is your relationship with restriction or binging? Is that a part of your story? 
Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's what, you know, it's one of the things, like you said, I have worked with literally thousands of women in the realm of this kind of yo-yo dieting. You know, I used to, I used to train girls for competition, right. And see firsthand what that kind of restriction does. Uh, So fitness competition. Yes. Like fitness competitions, bikini stuff, all that kind of stuff. I used to do that too. So for me, it was very much a restricted model. So I had times where I was quote on my diet and that was when I was prepping for a show and I was leaning out, right. Leaning out or getting lean or whatever for my show and getting up on stage at, you know, 12, you know, 10% body fat, very restrictive. And it was all I could do to get through that 12 weeks of prep. And at the end, as soon as I got off stage, I was binging. I had to, I mean, I had to physiologically, I was depleted. And I was also mentally so exhausted that that was the only option. And so I've seen firsthand and I did that for several years. I did, uh, you know, a dozen shows over six years. So that back and forth and back and forth, I never had a time I would, I would lose and gain 20 pounds, same 20 pounds every single year. So it's only been the last five years that I've actually maintained my dress size, maintained my weight. And I've seen this over and over with women is once they do a, adopt more of a moderate approach, those highs and lows in their weight and all that kind of stuff really kind of starts to smooth out. And you know, it's funny, I talk a lot about moderation and people just say, well, I could never do that. I'm an all or nothing person. I just can't even be around the food. And I always just say that I was the exact same way. If someone had told me 10 years ago to have a couple bites of a cookie, I would have just like laughed in their face. That wasn't something I could ever do or comprehend doing. Um, and so for me, this huge change took about three years of practice and all of that stuff, but it's not impossible as much as we kind of think it might be. Uh, one of my biggest charges in the world right now is just teaching people that that everyone can be a moderator. And I know that's not a popular opinion, but to me, um, I have a lot of clinical experience that says it is, but it does require a 2.0 approach. A 2.0 approach? What does that mean? <laughs> so like, let's talk about like the 1.0 approach, right? Okay. So you've seen shows like reality shows or whatever, where they have a personal trainer come into somebody's house and like go through the cabinets and like this, it's this hugely like dramatic thing, right? Yes. Um, the problem is this, people know that they shouldn't be eating donuts. So like a, a personal trainer, like ripping out sugary cereal and throwing it in the trash is like, yes, that is important to not have the food around, but that's also like, to me, I want to be able to keep any food in my house anytime and not feel the compulsion to always polish it off. That's the 2.0 approach. The 1.0 is, is like out of sight, out of mind. And I think that's a good place for people to start. If they're just getting started on their healthy eating journey, then yeah, don't, you know, don't stuff your cabinets with ice cream and chips and cookies and get that stuff out of there. But eventually, don't we want to be able to have some cookies in our house without having to feel like we need to eat it all till it's gone? So the 2.0 says, trust yourself enough and practice enough exposure therapy, right? Exposing yourself. And this is really scary for people who feel like they don't trust themselves around that kind of stuff. And I felt the same way. Um, but I've seen it time and time and time again, that it does take time. This all or nothing is a lot easier than moderation actually. So that's what I mean by 1.0 is like out of sight, out of mind. 2.0 is being able to be around any food, any time and not feeling like it has complete control over you. Does that make sense? It does. And it requires a lot of things. I think, I think it requires Mm -hmm. a mindfulness that probably takes some time to develop. Tons. Uh, But a lot of people, including myself, we can't even get to that mindfulness because we need to stuff our face with the second and third and the fourth and fifth bite. So so one thing that I have in common with a great many of my listeners that I think surprises them because I'm a relatively fit, healthy person is I think that it occasionally surprises and delights in the we're all in this together kind of way. A lot of my people that I'm like, no, dude, I can't keep chocolate chip cookies in the house. Like, because if I eat one, I'll eat 11. Mm -hmm. So I have never had food scarcity. I've never starved myself. Like, what do you tell people who, who are like, sure, Jill, that sounds great, but oh my gosh, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah, for sure. And that's a real, it's a real consideration. And I completely agree with you. And the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time that you do keep cookies in your house, guess what? You're going to eat them all, right? So that's the scary part is because you're not going to get it right. You're not going to the very first time that you keep your favorite pint of ice cream in your house, you're going to eat the whole pint because that's your MO. But over time, and this is the part where mindfulness comes in, mindfulness is one of those words like moderation. I kind of like, I love the concept of moderation, but I don't kind of like the word because I think we're kind of numb to it. It feels really trite. People are like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Moderation, right? You see, you think it's like something for like your grandmother or just not hardcore enough. Yeah. So I, 
Jill, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I feel the same way about the phrase intuitive eating. Yes, like, same. I was all about exactly. it. I was like, that sounds brilliant. And now I want to stab my eyes out whenever I yeah. hear someone say it because I'm like, intuitive eating means I'm going to eat the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Because that's what I feel like doing. So, yeah. okay. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yes, it's totally. mindfulness and moderation and intuitive eating. I feel sometimes, and I think other people can relate to this, I feel broken because that doesn't work for me. Yep. And so I think that there's a key thing to go like, this is really what's interesting in my experience with my, with my clients is that you actually don't know what mindfulness is or what it feels like until you do it. So it's kind of like this catch 22 that in order to be able to practice mindfulness, you have to just start with action. So what does that look like? Super simple. Um, it's just thinking about what you're doing in the moment. It's just observe, observe, like a kind of spectatoring, like kind of just observing yourself as if you were watching a movie. So for example, when you're like, I can't be around cookies or I just want to eat the entire thing because that's what I want to do. It's taking the judgment out of it and just like actually just watching yourself and going, okay, I'm doing this because it just feels good in the moment. I'm doing that. So just like realizing it. And then maybe the next day, and it's a practice, right? But it may be the next day kind of catching yourself and being like, just asking some questions. So when we have things like guilt and shame and remorse, we've all kind of experienced these things after a night of like binging or eating a lot, right? Overeating. I did that for years. Every single morning I'd wake up and be like, oh, I can't believe I did that again, right? We have this kind of thing. We know based on research that things like guilt, shame, remorse, even though they feel useful, we're scared if we don't have them that we're going to really overdo it next time but they actually don't help us eat better long-term. So instead of those things, again, this is a practice, catching yourself in the moment and going, okay, I'm doing that thing I always do again. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling remorseful. I'm feeling shame around that. And I know, and again, like we're, it's natural to feel that way, but it's catching yourself in the moment and instead getting clinical, going, okay, I'm going to try and remove those kind of negatives, that negative self-talk. And instead, I'm going to ask myself, what was it about last night? Like, what was it? Was I just, um, you know, was it that I wanted, just wanted to relax with food? I felt like I needed a reward. I was bored. Did I not eat enough protein, vegetables yesterday? Did I not preempt my cravings early enough? So one of the concepts that we talk about at Jill Fit is the concept of preemptive cheats. And what that is, is basically having something earlier in the day or earlier in the week that helps you take the edge off your craving so that when you get to Friday, you don't feel as compelled to eat with abandon because you had some chocolate on Tuesday and you had some a glass of wine on Wednesday and you had some bacon, uh, you know, with breakfast on Thursday and you had some, you know, cheese on your salad, on, you had some ranch dressing on Friday, like these small kind of nutritional gimmies really help you. And that's why it's a preemptive approach. You don't wait until you're completely deprived because at that point you're, you are too far gone. Okay. So I want to break some of these down into some actionable steps for people, but let me make sure we are sure. tracking. So mindfulness is basically watching yourself, like paying attention and, and sometimes pausing long enough to ask a question. Yeah. And you know what? You might not change your action just because you've asked a question. I think that's really key. Is that's that just important. because you're more that's important. mindful? Yeah. It doesn't mean that you are going to change. And I can tell you from experience and with my clients is that you have to mess up a whole lot. You're going to mess up a ton. But the fact that you have a little bit of awareness means that you're on the journey. So it's not one of those things where you see it in real time. What's going to happen is over the next six months, you're going to wake up a year from now and go, wow, I'm totally different than I used to be. That's how mindfulness works because you're at an operating system now where you're slowly starting to just change things based on asking those questions. What was it about? What was I feeling in the moment? You know, how hungry am I? Was I even hungry? You know, why do I, why are my cravings elevated? What's going on there? And those are just like questions. And it's hard because we don't usually pose those questions to ourselves because we're so used to giving away our power to a plan or a meal or plan or an expert or a coach or a diet plan or whatever. So instead, this is about turning it back on you and asking the questions yourself. And that's really scary for people because it really requires you take 100% ownership of your process. There's a lot here, so we can definitely yeah. break it down. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I understand is that a lot of times we will we will stuff or binge in order to not ask those questions. So yeah. just taking a deep breath and asking like, why am I eating? Like, what am I actually interested in eating right now? Is this actually truly delicious or yeah, am I just so shoving it in my face because it's here? Or, yeah. I, I mean, one of the reasons we binge, I think, is 
in order to not face those questions. Yeah, I call I call it brain shutdown mode, right? Like I call it like brain shutdown mode where we just we know we're eating, but we don't want to stop it and we don't want to mess with it. We go, I'll deal with it tomorrow, or I'll just I'll worry about it later. We just literally don't care. And and that's totally normal, by the way. And so you don't go from that to 100% perfect eating, right? That's not the, the case. It's going to take you a year, two years, three years to just realize that the old binges you used to have aren't quite as big anymore. You know, like maybe you have like 10 cookies instead of 25, you know what I mean? So we can judge it and say like, well, 10 cookies isn't good either. Or we can just be like, you know what, that's better than it used to be. And so we're moving in that direction. Well, assuming you occasionally dabble like, with the rest of us, what, how, what do you do to interrupt yourself in a moment like that? Or do you truly find that it's so minimal in your life now? No, it's a combination of both. I think over time. Um, but one thing that one practice that I do use at so here's so I don't cook, right? So for me, I've had a lot of practice in dining out and getting takeout and all these kind of things. We can talk about if that's healthy or not. But for me, it really kind of starts it streamlines my life. So I don't I like that better. Um, so I go out to eat a lot. And what happens is like I'll be out with a friend and we'll be kind of talking and my food is tasting really good. But you know how it is. You kind of just like it tastes really good, so you want to keep eating it. Uh-huh. One practice that I've started doing is assessing my level of fullness. And so you've heard this before, but it really does work to go, um, you know, and kind of stopping at that 70 to 80% fullness. But you need to have, again, mindfulness to even ask the question of, how full am I right now? And I'll give you what I use to tell if I'm at 70 to 80% fullness is if I could keep eating. <laughs> so if I could keep eating, I'm not at 100% yet. I'm at 70 to 80. Obviously, we don't know exactly. But I asked myself, could I keep eating right now? And if the answer is yes, then um, it's time to stop. I know it sounds like really counterintuitive, but to me, that's how I, I do it. I go, I could probably actually polish off this whole thing, but I would be at 100% fullness and I would feel disgusting. I would feel bloated. I would feel like my clothes were getting tight. And we all know that like, you know, it's not really healthy, but it's also doesn't feel great. Like physically, it doesn't feel great. So for me, I always ask the question, am I satisfied, but not stuffed? And, and there's an abundance mindset that needs to come into place here too. So for example, if you don't want to finish it and you take a doggy bag, Often, I'll go home and an hour later, I'll finish it. So it's just about that little pause. It's the practice of pausing. I was just talking about this with my husband the other day because we're just big eaters. And, and I said to him, I said, what, what happened to both of us respectively in our childhoods that, that like if it's delicious – we almost have fear that it won't be like, yep. we can buy whatever food we mm-hmm. want whenever we want it. <laughs> like yep. that, What on earth, where does a scarcity mindset come from when truly you yeah. had like normal, I mean, some people truly mm-hmm. have experiences in their childhood that very directly create that kind of mindset. Yeah. I was blessed to not have that sort of challenge. And yet here I am scarcity mm-hmm. mindset. Why are we eating out of mm-hmm. fear, Jill? That's such a great question. I actually wrote a blog called Food FOMO. And it's really interesting you say that because I think for a lot of us, it does kind of start in those early ages. So I'll give you an example. Um, My husband is the youngest of four kids. And so when he was growing up, if like the family got a pizza, it was literally like kill yourself to get the very (laughs) last piece. Like gladiators. Yeah, he's like fighting his siblings to get a piece. So like there is a lot of that that happens. But at the same time, even if you're someone like you, maybe didn't have that experience, the way that our industry is around food, the all or nothing, perpetuating the all or nothing approach is what does it. So let me give you an example. It would be the starting on Monday mentality, right? I'll start on Monday. I'll start on Monday. So even just saying or thinking that you might start on Monday, what does that do to you on Sunday, the Sunday before? It makes you go, oh, I need to finish all this stuff because on Monday it's not going to be available anymore. So like, or um, like, I don't know, you've probably heard that when people get ready to do a meal plan or a new diet or something, they're actually more excited about it before they start it than when they're actually doing it. Well, because tomorrow you'll be perfect. So Right, you go, ooh. That's right, I might as well put this down today because tomorrow I'm going to be ideal self. So we, so it's the, it's the, the meal plan culture. I call it the meal plan culture where like we're program jumping. We're going from one to the next because we like having a plan. Like it feels, feels in control to be, it feels organized to be like, well, on Monday I'm going to start this brand new thing and I'm going to get all, you know, I'm going to get all my food and make my Tupperwares and all this stuff. It feels organized. It feels like you're in control, which of course a lot of our food stuff is around control. So what is that? How does that make us act on the Sunday before the weekend before that Monday? We feel scarcity because it's going away. And I think that's how so many of us operate without even thinking about it. Well, and you make the point in a lot of your work that 
that we need to understand that this is a control issue. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. I can just, I can tell you from my perspective what it was. I mean, obviously to me doing something like a figure competition, think about what that is, right? And I don't judge it. I think it's fine for some people who can handle it. I've just seen very few people be able to handle it uh, long-term, that kind of lifestyle. But for me, it was very much, think about what it is. You're getting to a level of leanness and conditioning, and then you're putting on a skimpy swimsuit and getting up on stage for others to judge your body. Like, why are we doing that? It's kind of insane when you think about it like that. So, but it attracts the perfectionist. And for me, that's who, that's very much who I was growing up and in my twenties. And that's when I did shows. So it's, it's irresistible to be like, let me have the perfect body. And so when you have that, you know, you feel like if I just control what goes in my mouth, then I can control what my body looks like. And if I can control what my body looks like, then I can control if I'm loved, respected, good enough, worthy, um, you know, seen as credible, all of those kind of things, seen as someone who is perfect. And so I think a lot of the control comes down to uh, levels of self-worth and kind of these underlying reasons why we don't feel good enough unless we have the perfect body and the way in controlling the way you eat and controlling the way that you exercise, you know, we, we feel like if we just can control those things, we can control how people see us. And it's such an illusion, isn't it? It is. It really is. You know, I had a huge moment for me that was really telling. So it was about five years ago and I was, uh, I got asked to speak about business at a fitness model conference and everyone who was in the audience was like really in shape they were like they were doing all their photos like while they were at the conference with a bunch of photographers and stuff and i'm there to talk about online business um which was great but i started feeling myself be like "Ooh, am i am i gonna be lean enough are they gonna think i'm credible enough if i don't have a six-pack when i show up and it was really interesting actually a mentor of mine gave me almost permission to just show up um, authentically and confident the way I was because she's someone who when you, when she walks into a room like has this star quality about her so confident and she's not super ripped but she's like she's fit she's you know attractive she's healthy but she like has this thing that people just want to be she's like a magneticism that people want to be around her and I was like and I know plenty of women who are 10% body fat 12% body fat who don't like themselves, who don't have any self-confidence, who aren't uh, competent speakers or competent. Like, so I was like, okay, Jill, you're going to, to talk, but you're not talking on how to get super lean. And honestly, just own your expertise. It doesn't make you any less credible from what you're, for what you're teaching to be like, just to show up. And almost you can be an example of someone who's just comfortable in their skin. And that to me was a huge shift. How can we use the concept of imperfection to actually live more authentically? Can you help me make this connection? So hard. Yeah. I mean, so I think about it from the perspective of, you know, what we, we kind of know is, is we kind of say per- perfection is an illusion. Well, because there's so many reasons why. Isn't it so subjective? In a way, someone, you know, the body that, you know, you don't necessarily like or appreciate, someone else would kill for. So in a way. God, that's so true. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So the way that the comparison is not even applicable. So the idea of perfect is kind of just uh, not, it's not even applicable. Well, and plus when you are in, I don't know what your observation is, Jill, but I, I actually put a post on Instagram a couple of months ago. The post said, I didn't want to share these with you. And it's a photograph of me. I don't often post pictures of myself in a bathing suit, but it was me doing an exercise in a bathing suit. And I was in impeccable shape. And I didn't share those images for six months because at the time I took them, stick with me here. At the time I took them, I thought I looked disgusting. I thought I looked really thick. I thought I looked really pale. And I all I saw was imperfection. And now here I am like trying to get out of my winter body. And I would kill to be that imperfect. In other words, even when you are at your fittest, you can't see it. You can't appreciate it. The whole thing's an illusion. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. No, my gosh. I love that story because in a way it, it just reaffirms the fact that like when it comes down to it, to me, imperfection should be the goal because the idea, because then it, it, like you're an example to other people of what it's like to be, to show up authentically, right? So when we talk, like I kind of hate the buzzword again, authentic, authenticity. It's a lot of people are saying it right now, but mainly it's just about being unapologetically you and allowing the chips to fall. To me, this comes down to trust. So we've talked about control and control 
is and trust are kind of opposites. If I'm trying to control everything that goes in my mouth, I'm trying to control how other people see me and I'm trying to control what people are going to think about me, right? And so trust and control are opposites. So what I do in my work is I try and teach women to be more trusting of themselves to handle whatever foods are around, to handle not being a size 2 24-7, to handle any situation they find themselves in because they just know that they got it. And that's hard. That's a practice because it's, it's coming from this control, this perfectionist place to more of like a trusting, loving, authentic, um, I don't know, just appreciative self-worth place. Yeah. And that was my message at the time. It was, you don't understand how beautiful you are like right now in this moment, because all we see whenever we look at ourselves, not everybody, I don't mean to generalize so much, but so many of us, all we see are the imperfections. And that is such a profound profound waste of time and frankly a profound waste of gift because we have been we are just extraordinary and we're so beautiful and we don't even know it so i was sort of ripping the veil off and saying wow even when i had what you Mm -hmm. know we all say we want then all i saw was the imperfection and now i would kill to look like that (laughs) but i want to go back to this trust issue because you wrote something brilliant jill you said trust that a single slip up doesn't make or break your physique trust that you can literally get right back to your healthy eating at your next meal and not all is lost. Trust that success is not a matter of perfection, but a matter of consistency. Trust that food is abundant and you don't have to eat everything right this second. And trust in yourself that you can handle whatever the fallout, that you are strong, resilient, tenacious, and with the power to move on quickly. Now, Jill, if we trusted ourselves and allowed ourselves to be reliant on this trust, wouldn't we eat differently? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this goes down to like nutrition stuff too, because the key is this. Um, when you think about, I, I like to talk about moderation in terms of satisfaction. So when I'm eating with the goal of feeling satisfied, that's not stuffed either, right? Like, so remember, like feeling bloated and stuffed into your clothes is not satisfying either. So it's navigating the middle every time that you sit down and that takes some practice. For, for a little bit, you're going to feel like you have permission to kind of just like eat to your heart's like desire, I think, for a little bit. But, but the goal is using that mindfulness to come back to the center. Let me give you an example. So my younger brother, like we talk about exposure therapy and there's actually a lot of research to talk about the fact that when you're trying to teach someone mindfulness, putting them in situations where they have to navigate things that might've been an old trigger for them, things like all you can eat buffets and stuff like that. They actually put people through all you can eat buffets and see like how mindful they can be around their choices. Super, super important, but that's a great practice. So exposure therapy is actually really important. And that's a level of trust to be around the food. You have to have some level of trust that you don't, won't go overboard. And that's where mindfulness comes in. So here's an example. So my younger brother loves popcorn. Like he loves, sometimes he'll just literally go to the movies for the popcorn and, or he might not even watch the movie. He'll just come home because he just wants the popcorn. So he was kind of, so he was kind of. Wait, wait, wait. Do you mean he went to the theater, bought the popcorn, came home? And then left. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, he just loves movie theater. He's kind of insane. But, you know, and so he he was kind of trying to play devil's advocate. We're talking about mindfulness. And he says, he goes, honestly, Jill, like, you know, I just, I just don't trust myself around popcorn. I'll just eat the whole thing. And I said, well, let me give you this scenario. If I was like, Dan, every single night, I want you to eat a large movie theater popcorn every single night. I want you to have one. I said, you probably do that for a few weeks. You probably do that. But then eventually, wouldn't you kind of just be like, you don't want to eat the whole thing. You're just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not feeling the popcorn tonight. I've had it. I've had it too much. Or I'm just, you know what I mean? So like, it's almost like giving yourself permission and believe me, there's, you're going to have to trip and fall a little bit. Right. And I think the point is, well, I don't want to be in a position where I eat popcorn every night for three weeks, right? I'm going to gain 20 pounds and I'm never going to make it back. But isn't that worth it? To learn that, like to not be beholden to that food. You know what I'm saying? So like in a way, over time, when you give yourself that per- permission to be around the food, and one I do a course called the Four Week Food Obsession Bootcamp, and I give um, the girls homework every week. And the first homework assignment is to pick the food that you're most terrified of eating and have it in your house, and practice mindfulness every night. I don't care. I'm not judging. Do you finish the pint of ice cream? Do you eat all the cookies? the The goal is just mindfulness. So the goal is not to be perfect. The goal is not to get it right away. The goal is not to you know take one bite and go to bed. Like the goal is to just watch yourself around the food. And so in a way, when the goal is not to be perfect, it gives you permission to have that space, that time and space to mess up and learn about yourself. Scary. It's really scary. And you're like, I just ate the pint of Ben and Jerry's winner. Yeah. And you're like, oh, and Jill wants me to eat a whole nother one tomorrow night. But in a way, 
I kind of do because I want you to break those old holds that these foods have on you. And so I think like the exposure therapy piece, like in, in, you know, we talked to my brother and the popcorn stuff. And he was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, probably after like two, three weeks, I'd be like, oh, I don't really need it anymore. I don't really want it anymore. The, 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 uh, illicitness of the food is kind of dissipated. Well, we label food good and bad. And that is something that you could tell me until we're all blue in the face not to do. And I'm never going to be able to look at a donut and be like, that is good. <laughs> um, am I supposed to just look at it all and say it's neutral? I mean, I know what's good for me and what's not. I can't live in La La Land and be like, that donut is super neutral. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally true. No, I love these questions because this is, real, this is life. This is real life. And I don't, and, and just so everyone knows, like this stuff took me literally three years to practice and to like get to the point where I feel comfortable with all of it. Because the reality is it's going to take a minimum of a year, a minimum of a year. So that's why it's like, that's why I always say black and white dieting and kind of all or nothing is a lot easier than moderation. Because you're like, gee, Jill, three years from now, I can. And not be obsessed with ice cream or I could just give up right now, right? Or I could just jump on the latest 21 day detox and not, you know, eat ice cream. So I think that it's kind of a long-term versus short-term game, but that's a really great question that you asked um, about food policing. Like some foods are good, some foods are bad. And I do think that you don't go like, oh, this food is neutral, but here's what you do do. You give yourself permission to have some of that donut. So even if you're just like, yeah, I, don't, I know that this donut will probably make me feel like crap. It's probably not like in line with my goals. It's probably, it is a junk food, right? It's not healthy. It's not really like adding any value. But what the value that it does add, two, twofold, number one, having a couple bites of a donut and watching yourself be able to do that is empowering. And the second thing is there's a satisfaction factor associated with having a few bites of a donut. And if you eat a whole donut plus a whole dozen donuts, that satisfaction is no longer there. Now it's like moving into just like, I feel stuffed. I feel bloated. I have, you know, I have these shame and remorse and whatever. So the practice is tasting any food anytime. And this is going to sound crazy, right? Because we we're used to the all or nothing thing. Believe me, that's, ex that's how I lived for the first 30 years of my life is all or nothing. If someone told me to take a couple bites of a donut, I would have like, I would have punched him in the face. There just wasn't a reality that I could even picture. I'm like, Oh, that must be nice for you. But cause I, just, I hear people say, well, just have a little bit. And I'm just like, are they insane? So I get it. That's why it's a practice. First time you're probably gonna eat the whole donut plus a couple more. Then you're gonna get to the point where you eat like two donuts. Then you're gonna get to the point where you eat like one donut. Then you get to the point where you, eat, you do just take a couple bites of a donut and you're like, okay, like what's next? You know what I mean? You have this thing where it's like, it's you could take it or leave it. You're like, yeah, it's good, I'll have some or I won't have some. And I know that that feels so impossible right now for so many people listening, um, but that's what mindfulness helps you do. And I call it intermittent sampling, by the way, being able to like taste any food without having to devour it. It's obviously a practice, but I wrote a whole blog on it. All right, I'm gonna make sure we link to the, the food FOMO and the intermittent sampling in the show notes for sure. And I think that what you're, what you're helping me connect here is that again, all of that is knowledge that you're giving us, but the application requires that trust and that desire mm -hmm. to like want to sit with yourself or want to take care of yourself or want to choose better for yourself. Like if you're missing that component where you actually want to take care of yourself or choose a better way, then, and let me explain what I mean. Most of the time, what I see is we are too busy self-flagellating mm -hmm. and telling ourselves how we failed or engaging in negative self-talk. And mm -hmm. so we don't create any room to check in with ourselves, love ourselves, want to take care of ourselves. Therefore, we continue what really is like kind of self-abuse. Does that make sense? Am I getting too meta yeah, here? Absolutely. It makes sense. And you know, I, no, I love it. Let's go. Um, no, I'm the same way. So I think that, you know, you touched on a couple of really good things, really important things right there. There's a courage associated with making this change. So when I say not everyone's ready for it, the trust requires courage. In the, in it ha in, and for me, and I'll give, give you an example of what happened with me, the reason why I started moving in this direction was because I was so fed up. I think you have to reach a point of misery with the all or nothing approach for you to be like, I don't even care if I gain 50 pounds. I just don't want to do this anymore. So that's kind of where I got to. I was doing all this yo-yo dieting and it was at the end of a series of dieting I was doing for photo shoots. I had like six photo shoots over like 10 months or something. And I got to my last one and it was kind of the last time excuse I had to quote diet down for something. 
And I remember being really terrified, like, what's next? There's nothing, there's not a show coming up and there's not a shoot coming up. And I, because I always needed that to feel motivated to eat better. Um, and so when I was done with that, I remember, I remember exactly where I was and I was having this conversation in my head and I was just like, well, Jill, you don't, you're never going to do another show. So you better figure out how to do this forever. And that's when I slowly started giving myself preemptive cheats things that would never have found its way onto my competition diet, like nuts and fruit and some of these things that are obviously healthy, but as where I was in like such an obsessive place, I wasn't even allowing myself to have nuts if I was on a competition diet, which is insane. But I started with some of these healthier kind of nutritional gimmies, protein bars, protein shakes. Obviously, these <laughs> these foods are healthy, like relatively. Um, and then over time, it started to be like, well, let me just, you know, have some, a little bit more cheese or get a cheese plate. And then it was like, well, I'm going to have bacon. I'm going to add, you know, maybe I'll try some ranch dressing. And then it was kind of these these nutritional gimmies. Now, you know, my average day, like I have, you know, cheese on my salad. I eat, drink like maybe one or two glasses of wine every day. I'll have things like protein bars and nuts. And like, so these foods that are not necessarily necessarily um, like bad foods, right? It's healthy, but also you, they, they're a lot of times not on super strict meal plans and cleanses and detoxes and those kind of things. So there's these kind of middle of the road foods that take the edge off and make me feel satisfied moment to moment, day to day, so that what I eat on Monday um, matters. For, for It has implications for what I'm going to choose on Tuesday and it has implications for what I'm going to choose on Friday. So preempting a lot of that stuff, giving yourself some relief. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit more about these tactics because you say use preemptive cheats. You said basically pick your nutritional battles, right? Like don't yeah. obsess over, we, we get sucked into this, everything has to be 100% clean. And, and you're saying like, give yourself a little bit of grace. You have to. I mean, that, that's the thing is if you're, if you're like, I need to be 100% perfect, you're going to see one single slip up as um, you're bad. So we talked about this. I've t I just wrote a blog on this about kind of these kind of slip ups and why whenever we have a single slip up, we make it mean we're like completely off plan and we just throw our hands up and we say, what the hell? I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Yeah, I might right? as well ride this wave. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, it's, it's kind of like that excuse you were looking for to finally be off your plan, right? And we've all done this. I've done this a million times. But what's the psychology behind that? Because obviously, rationally, it doesn't make sense. You have like one, a couple cookies and all of a sudden you're like eating everything in sight. It makes no sense for results. But we do it. It's called the what the hell effect. Um, and they've actually shown that it has to do with you feel like you're not, you're not reaching your goals so you might as well just not even try. It has to do with like not reaching a goal so for you, if the goal is I'm doing a new diet, I read this diet book and I got all my food prepped and I got it all ready, and you eat something that is not on that diet plan, you just feel like, well, I might as well not even try because I can't be perfect on it. And that's a huge trap that doesn't make any sense for goals yet a lot of times. So that's where the mindfulness piece comes in to go, okay, you're actually just one you know, one meal away from like just being right back on track. No problem. Like get back on the horse. Every little bit truly does count, but we don't feel like that in the moment. Okay. I think a lot of people can relate to that. What the hell effect big time. Mm -hmm. All right. So when you're working with clients and they're just at the tip, you know, they're just yep. at the beginning, what are some just brass tactics? Even if it's things you encourage them to include in their diet or habits you mm -hmm. encourage them just, just because sometimes people just need directions so yep. that they can start where they are and use what they have and do what they can right then. So what are just some actions you would recommend? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. So I have one thing that I use called DNCs, which stands for Daily Nutritional Commitments. I think what happens a lot of times is we get super overwhelmed with all the things that we have to do. And when we have too many things, we don't do any of them well. And also, they don't really move the dial, right? And it doesn't actually have any impact on their body or their health, really, for most people. So Daily Nutritional Commitments are three things that you do daily no matter what. So for and there are things that are that fit the criteria of the three E's, which is effortless. They need to kind of be things that you would already kind of normally do that fit into your your schedule. Um, no, the second one is enjoyable. The second E is enjoyable, which means like on some level you have to like kind of look forward to it. I know a lot of people have their protein shake that they just like love, or they have their oatmeal in the morning that just makes them feel really good. So it needs to be something that's enjoyable and also needs to be effective for your goals. So for example, like and when I talk about goals, most it's around maintenance. Like mostly it's not really for like long-term fat loss. Over time you can achieve fat loss, but that takes time. Um, so the three E's, they need to be effective, enjoyable, and, and also easy or effortless to fit in. 
And then that should make up about like 80% of your mental energy for the day. So I'll give you an example. For me, number one, I always have protein at every meal. I know that protein keeps me keeps me more satisfied and it keeps me more satiated fuller for longer. The second thing is I always have one huge, uh, I call it BAS or big ass salad a day. So that if I know that I, if I get no other vegetables that day, I've gotten five or six servings in that. And I know for me, having a lot of vegetables is important to my satiation, fiber, all that stuff. And then the third is that I always have a protein bar with me. So if I'm, you know, going out or my purse, my gym bag, my car, so that I know if I do get stuck and I need to kind of surf the urge a little bit, I have something that feels tasty that I actually enjoy eating. And I can have that kind of in the interim that gives me enough time and space to get a healthy plan together. So those are my three things. They'll be individual to the person. When I do those things every single day, that leaves very little wriggle room for like a lot of mess ups. Of course, I eat other stuff during the day, sure. but when I do those three things, they move the dial hugely for me so that like I feel satiated, I feel um, you know satisfied for longer, and I only have about 10 to 20 percent of like to play with, just kind of troubleshoot cravings and hunger and stuff like that. Does that make sense? So three things that really move the dial for you that you know when you do them, you stay pretty good on track. It does. And you want to know the one that's leaping out at me? This is so interesting to me. Effortless, I understand. Effective for your goals, I understand. The logic is there. The enjoyable piece, dying laughing at myself right now because that is the first one I let go. I do so many things because they're, quote, good for me. Yeah. And then I, I'm, I'm like, am I actually, do I like this? Like, am I enjoying this? That is the first thing to go for me. I will find myself. And I think a lot of us can relate to this yeah. is we hear something that somebody we admire and respect is doing. And we're like, well, I'm going to do that because that works for them. It's, it might even be effortless and it might even be effective, but we actually just remove the enjoyable piece. And I think that's huge. It's absolutely huge. And it's really, you know, it's really interesting. I'm so glad you brought that up. And just like, I just think that you're great. The fact that you're able to like say that and recognize that about yourself, because I think, and I, I did the same thing for such a long time. I think we ask, what should I eat instead of what would I like to eat? So I think it's hard, right? That's a mental shift because we never take ourselves into account. Yet, if we, if we ever hope to do this long term, we have to take ourselves into account. I mean, I had the same experience when I was training for shows. I don't like a lot of fish. But I was eating a ton of it for these shows because I was like, that's what you eat. You just eat tilapia and you, you know, eat these asparagus spears out of a plastic bag and it's cold and it's soggy and it's whatever because that's just what you do. Never asking myself, could I see myself eating this long term? And it's like, of course not. But I never asked myself that. So, of course, I'm going to rebound. Of course, I'm going to yo-yo diet. Of course, I'm going to go off the rails as soon as I have access to sweets and treats again. So the idea is just to kind of smooth out those highs and lows. What should I eat is where I live, Jill. And I think so many of my listeners, because yeah. we talk, I, I know them and the, I understand them and they email me and we are living in what should I eat because so-and-so told me or what shouldn't I eat, which is even more common, blah, 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 blah. Instead of asking, what would I actually enjoy? And most of us actually enjoy good food when we're eating healthily. We feel good and we enjoy it, but something happens and we derail when we're not thinking that way and we're thinking what should I do should 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 that will make me perfect that will assist with my need for control that will assist with all the things that you and I have spoken about mm -hmm. um, I think so many of us are living in should land Yes, for sure. You know, and that's the thing is we look at, it's, you know, when we look at enjoyable, remember, they're not mutually exclusive. So like you can Correct. say, oh, I'm, I'm not on my plan now. So I, you know, what's enjoyable to me is I get to eat everything I enjoy or, but like you can still be quote on plan or still eating, you know, healthfully and have foods that you enjoy that are things like, I don't know, like donuts and stuff like that. Like, for example, I would never recommend someone eat a dozen donuts every day, but hey, I think you could probably get away with a couple bites every single day if that's your thing. And to me, that's totally fine. In fact, it's probably having those few bites every day that is going to keep you from binging on worse and more stuff later. So it's hard, right? It's you have to give yourself, you have to pick and choose your battles and you have to give yourself some nutritional relief. And I think so many of us, to be totally honest with you, like we don't want the donut, but because we've made it so bad and we have to eat this and we should eat this way, that mm -hmm. it, it builds it up into some, that splurge, whatever that binge item is, you're not even necessarily enjoying it. It's like it's, it's serving a different purpose, but it isn't enjoyment. 
We put, I think we put foods on pedestals. I definitely think that we do. And that's, I think, one of my kind of missions with Jill Fit is to take food off these pedestals that we put it on, right? So like my brother with the, you know, I oh, I go to the movies and I get a big popcorn every time I go. For me, it used to be Reese's Pieces. I used to have this big like Sunday night ritual. Like every Sunday night, I would get like this frozen yogurt that I loved and I would get these like, I don't know, one pound bag or whatever Reese's Pieces and I would dump them all in. I'd mix it all up and I'd watch my favorite show. And it was like this thing that I couldn't wait to do every Sunday. But the problem was like I was waking up on Monday feeling gross and then I was having to deprive myself all week in order to earn this one thing. And now I'm just like, I'll eat a few Reese's Peas every day. Like, you know what I mean? So you don't, in in a way you're releasing, you're dissipating the illicitness of that food, which is why I like the familiarity, right? That's the, the goal is familiarity and exposure so that these foods don't feel so scary. They don't feel so like, oh, I just can't even be around Reese's because I'll eat the whole thing. It's dissipating these pedestals that we put food up on. Okay. I think that's hard. I think it's Very so hard. easy to like, I so appreciate it as you describe it. And then I think, so what does that mean? Does that mean we all go to the grocery store and just buy everything that we like and we fill our house? And so then we sort of get in the mindset that we can have whatever we want when we want it. Cause that doesn't sound right. Yeah, no, it's a great question. No, you don't. And so that's why I like intermittent sampling because what it does is it's actually like controlled snacking. So it's, it's exposure to the, the one food or the two foods that you're most scared of. So it's not like you go and go, well, Jill said I can have whatever, so let me just grab these chips that I didn't think I haven't thought about for the last five years. Like it's just the, it's a thing that you maybe already have a mental uh, preoccupation with. So in Food Obsession Boot Camp, I tell the girls to get the one thing that they're so scared. So for a lot of us, like kind of health and fitness people, it's peanut, it's nut butters, right? Like nut butters. Oh my God, I can't even have oh, a jar yeah, of peanut butter in my house. I <laughs> eat the whole thing, right? So like it's those kind of things where like practicing it to the point of, and I used to be that person, by the way, like, I mean, literally I would have a nut butter gone in two days. So, but now it's just like, I forget that it's even in the cabinet because I don't feel a lot of urgency around food anymore. And again, granted, this is literally three to five years later. So again, I think people are kind of rolling their eyes, but it's one of those things that if you don't start with exposing yourself. Look, you're not going to, that first jar of peanut butter you buy, you're like, Jill said, I got to expose myself. (laughs) You're going to eat it over a few days. And that's, and removing the judgment, like you said, removing the judgment of that and just going, okay, let me just watch myself. Let me, let me try to be clinical, even though that's really hard. Let me try to be objective. What is it about the peanut butter that I just feel like I need it? Is it that I'm not satisfied outside of this? That it's the only way I can feel satisfied with food or relax with food or it's just this thing? Then you might have to get a little bit preemptive. You might need to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to have – and then it's just the mindfulness practice. That's all exposure therapy is, is practicing mindfulness. And the nature of mindfulness is that it takes time and that it's one of those things that you won't even know if it's working until six months from now when you're like, wow. I'm so much more mindful than I used to be. Well, I have a couple of very big takeaways from this conversation, Jill. And obviously, since I just like did a little jig over (laughs) what would I enjoy eating versus what should I eat? That's obviously a big takeaway for me. But also your daily nutritional commitments, effortless, enjoyable, and effective. I love that. So I will, I will share that again with everybody. And we'll, we'll, we'll have a little chat about that because I'd love to know what that daily nutritional commitment looks like for some of my people. So I'm, I'm going to ask them for that and say, think about that. And, and yours were the protein at every meal and the one big ass salad a day and the protein bar. And I want to hear from you guys listening, what makes sense for you? Cause I think it'll help us inspire one another. So that's really, really helpful. And then another takeaway that I have is that just the power of the pause when we are confronted with something that is tempting or that we will end up binging on the power of the pause is enormous and to stop and just say what am i about to do whether you proceed in doing it this is what i'm hearing you say whether you proceed in doing it or not the power of that pause you you cannot not learn something Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, and just going back to DNCs really quick for people like kind of putting theirs together, I, I think I left this part out. The power of the daily nutritional commitments is that you don't need to worry about anything except for those three things. 
That's okay, like, like the, that's the recipe for the day. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm going to do these three things and yeah, I'm going to eat other stuff, but I know if I do these three things, I stay pretty much on track. 80% I'm pretty good on. And also so that you can take, so you don't need to be worrying about the sodium and the salsa. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be worrying about, you know, what are the additives in this? I mean, look, if you're into like health and stuff like that, but just remember that every nutritional consideration is not created equal. So what are the big considerations that you know when you do them and you think about them that they move the dial for you? And those things that you're worrying about that actually have no impact on your health, your physique, let them go. Like do your best with the rest. But the three things are kind of like your, those are the things. So the 20 things you got to worry about, let's just worry about these three. Okay. I love that. I will actually put mine together. I want to give it real thought and then share it with everybody. I know one of them right now is to wake up and drink one liter of water just before I do anything else. That for some reason, that just changes my entire day. I know that sounds so silly, but it it really, really does. That's one of mine, but I can't wait to come up with a couple more. And I really want to hear from you guys. So share your DNCs with me when we share this episode on Facebook or Instagram or wherever. Email me and tell me what's effortless, what's enjoyable, and what's effective for your goals. I can't wait to hear from you. Jill, this has been really fascinating. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I love this stuff. We've talked about moderation, mindfulness, intuitive eating, all those things that we can't stand. I know I still need some work here because a lot of us like sort of hard charging personalities. We're like, I'm all or nothing, like do or die. And we take pride and, you know, zero or a hundred percent. And it's like, it's an ego thing, quite frankly. And so the idea that I can be moderate on anything is like, I have a little bit of an allergy to that, but I know I can tell you that because I know that you're cut from the same cloth. Exactly. It kind of, I mean, and here's the thing. I've heard a lot of people say to me, moderation feels like failure. So I get that because in a way people go, it's not good enough. But the only problem is, is that we don't want to do it because it doesn't feel good enough. So we continue to do these all or nothing approaches, which ends up being even worse. Think about it. It's, it ends up kind of like, like you're, you're mentally perpetuating the all or nothing approach and you're not really getting results. I would always say that, you know, seven days a week of like 80% you know, pretty good is always going to beat four days perfect and three days of all out binging. So that's why like moderation 365 is kind of my mantra every single day, like eat the same on Saturday that you do on Monday. And that might feel impossible for people, but it, it does work with practice and mindfulness. And just keep in mind that it takes literally years. So, but you have to start somewhere and it takes that little bit of courage and you're never going to get it right, but it's because it's precisely because you never get it right that you're going to be more consistent. Jill, that's, Brilliant. Thank you very, very much. And I look forward to continuing this conversation, not just with my readers, but with you again. It would be very fun to touch base with you after a few months and see how we're sort of evolving along this this progression. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, Jill, people can find you, I know, where I find you at jillfit.com. What else would you like to share with everybody? Yeah, I mean, if people want to get involved, the best way to kind of get involved and get this content is through signing up for my email list, which you can find on all my different channels. And I know it's kind of sounds like, you know, kind of pitchy, but honestly, I send, I send pretty, like, pretty stocked email. So if you like this kind of content, I'm always emailing weekly. Um, not just like little stuff here and there. I'm sending like really kind of longer emails. So know yourself if you like long emails or you don't make sure you kind of know yourself, but I send long emails chock full of tools, insights, strategies, stories, things like that. Yeah. They're meaty. I got to say, but I told you guys, the girls got chops. (laughs) Jill, you've been great. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. All right. Catch you later. Bye. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.